Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Well, do you love the Lord tonight? Do you love His holy written word? Praise God that we can study it together in Jesus' precious name by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, we approach your word with reverence and humility, giving thanks to you for the privilege of studying your word tonight. We invite your spirit to be our teacher and guide, to give us instruction that we might conform to the word and the image of Jesus, that we, dear Father God, would take your word and declare it to those that we come into contact with each and every day. We're so grateful to you for all that you've done for us. And Father, we acknowledge that without you, we are nothing. We know nothing, have nothing, can do nothing. But praise God, we are not without you. With you, we can do all things. And we're so grateful, so grateful to live in this time in which we can represent you as ambassadors for Christ and reach and touch the hearts and lives of people all around us. Father, be glorified in all that's said and done tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Title of my message tonight is Victim or Student? Victim or Student? In other words, uh, how would you classify yourself? Are you a victim of circumstances? Or are you a student to find out what you can learn from the circumstances that you encounter in life? Every single one of us is going to encounter storms in life. You believe that, don't you? We're going to be challenged with all kinds of situations. And I'll give you three reasons why. Number one, we live in a fallen world. Look at John 16, verse 33. We live in a fallen society. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have what? Tribulation, but be of good cheer. Now those two statements don't seem to go together. In the world you're going to have what? Tribulation but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we're all going to encounter difficulties and situations and tribulations and trials and circumstances that are adverse because Jesus said so. As long as you're living in a fallen world, you're going to encounter those difficulties. But the second thing, the second reason is we have an enemy who wants to destroy us. John 10.10, you know the verse. The thief comes not for to steal, to kill, and destroy I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Why does the enemy come? He wants to steal, kill, destroy. That's his method of operation. He's not concerned about any of us or anyone else but himself. And so because we have an enemy that wants to destroy us, obviously we're going to encounter some challenges along the way. But then thirdly, I don't know if this pertains to you, but I know it pertains to me. We've got flesh to contend with, don't we? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts or wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And if you go on down to the latter part of that chapter, he talks about how the flesh has got to be crucified daily. We that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the lust thereof. So, are you living in the world? You know you have an enemy out there. 
Do you have flesh? Did you bring flesh with you tonight? Well then, we're all going to encounter challenges and difficulties in life, are we not? For those three major reasons. Well, Jesus communicated this to Peter. If you recall when he was betrayed, if you recall before that, he told Peter two things at least. Your flesh is weak. Your spirit's willing, Peter, but your flesh is weak. Didn't he tell him that? But he also said, look, you've got an enemy out there. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. You've got an enemy out there that wants to sift you like wheat. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee that your faith fail not. How important is our faith if that's what Jesus prayed? That our faith fail not. That his faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He didn't say I'm praying to the Father to exempt you from your flesh being weak and Satan's attacks. I'm praying that your faith fail not, Peter. Well, guess what? He didn't get it. Because it wasn't very long before. What did he do? Failed the test. And he denied Jesus three times, didn't he? But you know what? I want to be convinced in my heart that Peter, even at that time, was still a student and not a victim. Why do I say that? Because if you read his epistle, what you discover is he learned some things from his mistake. He learned some things. And he reveals those things to us. Look in 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at what he says about affliction, persecution for Christ's sake. Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice. Now why again do they say rejoice? Rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So what's he telling us? He said, look guys, it's not strange you are going to be attacked. You're going to be challenged. Your Christian faith is going to be under scrutiny. And he's coming to sift you like wheat to determine whether or not you mean what you believe from your heart about your walk with Jesus. Well, he got it. Peter eventually got it. Because why? He was a student. He learned from his past mistakes, corrected them, and began to see things properly. Now, as we continue on our study, I want you to turn with me to the book of James, because this is so important. Chapter 1. What do we do when we encounter situations of life? How do we respond? Are we victims or students? Are we those that are professional victims and complain about everything that comes our way? Or are we those that learn from our experiences and then develop our faith and, and see to it that our faith grows? Well, if you're one who is a student, this is what you and I need to know. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into temptations, tests, or trials. Knowing something. Knowing what? That the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In other words, he's talking about a perspective. He's talking about an attitude. When you and I encounter challenges in this life, it is absolutely essential that we know 
that our faith will be tried and the way our patience is going to be developed is by going through these particular trials and tribulations and circumstances correctly. Notice the thing he says to do. Be of good cheer or rejoice. Here he says count it all joy. Command joy in the situation. That's contrary to the way we think and the way we feel. We don't feel like shouting joy for praises unto the Lord when we encounter a difficult situation. But when you and I know, see the student knows, Satan has come along to steal, kill, destroy. He has come to target my belief, my faith, and he's trying to destroy my life. So therefore, I'm going to do what God's word says. And what's that? Count it all joy. Knowing something. Look at the uh, 12th verse. In verse 12 he says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, what's going to happen? He'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, no man. Say what? When I'm tempted, tested, and tried, I'm tempted of God. For God can't be tempted with evil, and neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when? When he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. When sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Don't be an heir. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived, my brethren. God is not the force behind the test. I read so many articles. I read one that was talking about, it may be an incident, but it's not an accident. It's an incident that occurs in your life, but it's not an accident. In other words, God purposed it in your life for a reason. Beloved, I don't buy that. I believe the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that Jesus comes to give life. So I draw a dividing line between what God does and what the devil does. I am not going to accept what the devil does as coming from God. I'll accept what God does, but not what the devil does. Not what the world brings, not what my flesh dictates, and not what the devil says. No way. The next verse, verse 17, says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So in other words, good things come from God. Bad things come from the devil. That's not too hard to figure out. Would you agree? So when we're not experiencing certain things that we are, let's say, defined as good, and you know where they come from, what are we supposed to do? Rejoice, count it all joy, and resist with our faith. Because we know the trying of our faith works patience. So, what's the distinct difference between the victim and the student? We're going to throw some up for you. First of all, the victim. What does the victim say? Why did this happen to me? Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And then it's, there's that woe is unto me. Why me? Have you been down that path before? Especially when you're young in the faith, you know, that's, that's how you think. But what does the student say? What can I learn from this? Here's a situation in my life, and I'm learning some things from it. 
And I'm going to grow my faith out of it. Because I know what the word says about where it comes from and what God will do for me if I honor his word. I'll be honest with you. We just recently got a phone call from the 700 Club after, I want to say a year or more, which I sent in Andrew's testimony. And haven't heard from them for over a year. And I just kind of thought, well, they did dismiss it. They don't want to use it or whatever. Get a phone call. And the person that deals with this, you know, left a message and we called back. I called back and we finally got in touch with each other. And what happened was, <laughs> I'm just talking with her a little bit about Andrew, his testimony and where it came from, how I sent it in on the internet, on the website. I said, it talks about if you have testimony, send them in. And she goes, oh, no, no, I didn't get yours. I, that didn't come from you. And I said, well, well, how'd you get it? Well, there's someone in your church. Her name is Kathy Rice. She sent this in and gave us a little bit of your testimony. I said, well, okay, that's wonderful. I thought you were calling because I sent it in also by the website a long time ago. And she said, those that come in, most of them just get, they fall through the cracks, go by the wayside. Because believe it or not, all kind of craziness comes in. She goes, sometimes they get lost, you know. So I'm just calling you based on what she sent in. I said, whoa. Well, she said, I just need to talk to you and your wife, et cetera, et cetera. Make a long story short. I said, well, why don't you just go on YouTube and just type in Andrew Anzavina? I said, you can look it over for yourself. She said, that's wonderful. I'll do that. And then I'll get back to you. I pulled it up right as I was talking to her because they changed it since the first one because of um, high definition. And so I said, okay. I said, uh, you could just look it up. It's right here. So she went on and she pulled it up. And she said, I'll, I'll, after we're done talking, I'll, I'll, read it. I'll, I'll watch it. Well, since I had it up, I put it on. I have to admit to you, I just sat there and watched. And as Krista talked and I talked about Andrew's life, it just brought back so many memories of everything that came against that little boy. And each and every one basically screamed out loud, he shouldn't be alive. He shouldn't be alive. He shouldn't be alive. And you talk about learning something from an experience like that. Whoa. It impacted me today as it did back then. Because then I was in it. And now I'm looking back at it. And I'm recognizing, oh my. When your back is to the wall, you do some things deep in your soul that at the time, you may not even know where it comes from. I watched myself sit there and tell that interviewer in that birthing room, I heard these words and they came up on the screen. Fear not, only believe. And I thought, Wow. Before any diagnosis, before any doctor spoke any word about his condition, I was given a foundation for faith by the living God, by his spirit. And those words, fear not only believe, carried us through every situation that little boy encountered. Every situation that came against his life. And I'm telling you, it just renewed within me 
All the more the need for us to declare the word. When my Dante stood here behind this pulpit and he shared with you the last report when he went and, and the doctors took the test and said that there was no trace of Crohn's in his body. And I just sat back and I just listened to what he was saying and to what he was doing. Because right there in the home, he would go in his bedroom, he would shut the door. I know we want to see miracles take place around the altar. Thank God we can. But that boy went inside his room, shut the door, the light was on, it would be on at midnight. He had a confession sheet and every single day, two, sometimes three times a day, he would declare the word of God over his body. And specifically he would say, no scar tissue, no lesions. And when the doctor spoke and said to him, if I didn't know that you were diagnosed with Crohn's, which he of course diagnosed it and saw it, and saw all the evidence of it, all the pictures you know, from the tests, I would have never known that you had it. You're not just in remission, you're in deep remission. And there are no scar tissues, and there are no lesions, and there is no inflammation. He had 11 inches of his small colon so inflamed that they were considering the point possibly to remove it. That was what their thoughts were. When your back's against the wall, oh, my brother and my sister, we've got to understand what we need to do, all of us. We've got to get a hold of God's word, declare it, decree it, proclaim it. Don't let go of it. Will you be challenged along the way? You know you will, but don't let go. What does the victim do? Blames others for their troubles. It's everybody else's fault except mine. But what, what does the uh, student say? Did I do anything to bring this upon myself? Possibly. Did I open up a door somewhere? And why is that important? It's so important because God wants us to do self-evaluations. God doesn't want us to be deceived into thinking that we can do no wrong. And if I opened up the door somewhere, before I pray the prayer of faith, what do I want to do? close that door. If I'm holding bitterness in my heart against somebody, I can expect God's healing power to flow. If I'm in unforgiveness or anything of that nature, whatever it might be, make sure you touch base with every open door and close the door. Get it under the blood of Jesus. It doesn't take long, but a moment. Adjust an attitude. It could be an attitude that we have. Adjust the attitude. But don't blame everybody else at all. Thirdly, he feels sorry for himself. He feels sorry for himself. Once again, it's easy for us to have pity parties and feel sorry for ourselves. Invite our friends over for pizza, you know, and then sit down and talk about how bad we feel about what we're going through and all that. That's really the natural thing that people do. But it is so opposing what God wants us to do. Because what does a student do? Counts it all joy. What a contrast. One end of the spectrum to the other. Count it all joy. Command it to be joy. Knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. So to take a stand, we have to have knowledge. We need to count it joy because God said to count it joy. And what is joy? It's our strength. 
It's where the power comes from. It's our fortified place. And so when we're encountering a storm of life, we can sit back and call ourselves a victim or we can rise up and just say, praise God, the greater one lives in me. This is just another opportunity to show that the God that I serve is bigger than the problem that I face. That's an attitude that God wants us to have. Now next, what would the victim rather do? Rather complain than find a solution. I've talked to many. Rather just complain about the problem, complain about the problem, talk about the problem. Rather than find a solution, what does the student do? He looks to God for a way out. Because the Bible, God, it, Bible clearly teaches us, God said himself, with every temptation, there's a way of escape. There's a way out. And God wants us to find that way out. He made provisions for it. But it's up to us to do our part. Now let's give a, a perfect illustration or an example of somebody like the Apostle Paul. Look in the book of Acts, chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. Here is the story of the Apostle Paul, who just got done going through a storm. And you talk about a devastating storm. Among other things he encountered in his life up to this point, which were many, he now finds himself on a ship 14 days, typhoon type of situation. Actually, the, really, if you go to your, your commentaries, you find out that these two or three storms came together you could call it the perfect storm for destruction. And after 14 days, they gave up and believed they were going to die. And you know the story. They survived. Well, imagine surviving that storm only to have this happen. When they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he escaped the sea, yet vengeance or justice suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when that he, he should have swollen and fallen down dead suddenly. But after that had looked a great while, they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said he was a God. Boy, you talk about one side of the spectrum to another. Now that's the reversal of what took place at Lystra. Remember at Lystra? They, they said he's a God, ended up stoning him. Here, he's a murderer, and they elevate him to a God. Because of the venomous beast, had no power over his body. What did he do? He shook it off. Now, as you think about that situation, if Paul was one who had a victim mentality, I don't think he would have escaped the situation. He would have just been thinking about, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on while the venom is coursing through his bloodstream? But we have to really appreciate this attitude that he had after all that he went through. Now what does he do? He faces this situation with confidence. <clears throat> and boom, shakes it off. I call it the original snake and shake. 
the original snake and shake. He shook that thing off. He didn't stand this going, now where did I miss it? What I've been doing wrong and all that. No, he shook that thing off like that. It went to the fire and it got burnt. And he didn't even flinch. Would you call that confidence in your walk with God? Absolutely. Now, if you do a study on this, which you find out that there are those, of course, that say he never, the snake never bit him. Seriously? All those that don't believe in miracles, you could read some of the commentaries. He was never bitten. But the ones that know, oh yeah, he was bitten. And you can tell by the language of the uh, people that were there. They knew that snake. He should have died. Should have died within a minute or two. He should have fallen over dead. They knew it. But he didn't. So they say he's a God. So Paul, because of his perspective, because being a student who sat at the feet of Jesus. Oh, let's never forget this. He sat at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus taught him everything that he knew. And I'm sure he taught him the Great Commission. Because I'm sending you out. So take up serpents. If you find yourself in a situation where you're proclaiming the gospel to anyone, anywhere, the serpents have no power over you. Imagine the nonchalant reaction. How many women here tonight, if you encountered a rattlesnake, would be so calm? My wife, when we were walking up to buy a house, we were on a sidewalk in Brighton Township before we bought our house. And the real estate agent was so kind to meet us there. And we started walking up the front steps. And then the, the sidewalk to go to the house, to see the house. A snake came out. She looked at the snake. She looked at the real estate agent and she said, goodbye. And we left. There was no way. She says, I'm going to buy. They, the lady said, wait a minute. She goes, no, no. I've seen enough. I've seen enough. Trust me, she'll confirm it. No snakes where I'm at, you know. <laughs> but the Apostle Paul was so confident. Look, he knew by the angel he had to go to Rome. So his mission wasn't done. That's pretty good knowledge. He knew there was still more for him to do. That's a wonderful revelation. He knew the storm didn't take his life. And now this snake is not going to take his life. So he just nonchalantly shook the thing off and went about his business. Would you call that unconscious faith? I would. Unconscious faith. See, he knew the authority he had in the name of Jesus. He knew the power that he was given to use that name, the authority to use that name. And as a result, praise God, he rose up above the situation. But the victim mentality would have just sat back and just said, why is this happening to me? I say that only to let us all know this. It's natural for us to do that. It's natural to sit back and just say, why am I going through this situation right now? And that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. In a place that we just lack confidence, don't know why it's happening, can't understand it, of having a wrong perspective as far as life is concerned. You know, when I first went off to school, there were those that thought that now that I'm a Christian and now that I'm a, a person that believes God's word I should never encounter every ever again a difficult situation trust me you've been mistaught if that's what you think we were taught at school that's not what it teaches Jesus taught us that 
that the storms of life come to all of us, didn't he? And he didn't say if it comes. He said when the storm comes, did he not? And he said, in the world you will have tribulation. You will go through definite challenges in your life. But you know what? Be of good cheer. Once again, doesn't go together, does it? When you're challenged sorely, be of good cheer. Now, as we look at First Thessalonians chapter 3, remember now Paul, we just talked about Paul and his attitude when facing storms in life and challenges and situations where maybe things don't seem to be going right. Rather than having a victim mentality, he had a student's mentality. He learned some lessons from before, his inexperiences, in his experiences, in his walk, and now he's just going to apply these principles in that situation. But here, he establishes this church here, and I want you to see this in verse 1, verses 1 and 2. He is concerned about this church because they're young in the Lord, and they're encountering difficult situations. Look what he says. Wherefore, when you could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort or encourage you concerning your faith. So Paul is concerned about this church. Why? Because they're new Christians, they're young in the Lord, and they're encountering affliction and persecution. And he was concerned for good reason, very good reason. He knew that Jesus, I'm sure, taught him. When persecution and affliction come for the word's sake, people are what? Offended and they wither. He was concerned that they would fall away from the faith. What does that teach us? That circumstances, trials, tribulations, difficulties, storms that we face in life, affliction, persecution, they all come for what reason? To weaken us in our faith to get us to wither under the heat of the temptation so that we can eventually really forsake our faith in God that's what the enemy's ultimate goal and aim is to steal to kill to destroy us eternally if he could he would that is his mission he can't stand Christians he can't stand believers now here's a sad scenario and that is this that I hear people oftentimes say, before I became a Christian, this didn't happen to me, that didn't happen to me, now I became a Christian, and look what's happening to me. Well, let me explain that. Because before you became a Christian, the devil had you exactly where he wanted you, on the road to destruction. And he wasn't going to bother that. But now that you became a Christian, you become a debt to his kingdom, and also he wants to get you to wither before you get rooted in the things of God. Can you see that? He wants that for all of us. So what does he do? He gets his emissaries together and just say, okay, you go for that one and you go for that one and I need you to get this one. Why? Because he knows what you're made up of. He knows your weakness. He knows my weakness and he will target the weakness with his spirits to get us to succumb to his temptations. People will say, I never got sick until I got saved. Then I got saved and I got sick. Why? Because you learned that Jesus is your healer and the devil doesn't want you to know that. So he's going to challenge your faith and try to get you to bow. Well, wouldn't it be better that I had never known? Then raise your hand if you want to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. I don't see any hands going up. No. No, it's thank God that we do know. But let's understand the fight that we're engaged in. Let's really know what we're encountering when you come to Christ. 
You're going to be challenged by the world, the devil, and the flesh. And that's all there is to it. So in other words, don't be alarmed and don't be you know, amazed just because you're going through some kind of a situation. But face it correctly with the word of God and take hold of the word of God and apply pressure to the enemy. Say what you want. Do what you want. I am declaring the word of God above your circumstances, above your situations, above your mouth, above whatever it is that you're throwing my way. Look at verses 3 and 4. He sent Timothy there to establish them in the faith. To establish and to encourage. That's what he said. That's why I want you to go there, Timothy. Establish them because they're not established yet. Or encourage them because they're going through affliction. Okay. So he sends Timothy that no man should be, notice the word moved, moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer what? Tribulation. Isn't that what Jesus said? Even as it came to pass, and you know. So we know that we're going to suffer persecution and tribulation. And he said he told them that before. And now that they are, don't be alarmed by it. Be prepared for it. Build your life upon the foundation of the word. And notice the word there, moved. It, it, it appears nowhere else, that one word from the Greek, nowhere else in the Bible, in, in, in the New Testament. Now, it means to be agitated by the terror of persecution. Why? So that ultimately you can forsake your faith. Leave the faith, walk away from it. And how many people get to the point of discouragement in such a way that they don't want to serve Christ anymore? Can't take the pressure that the enemy puts on them. Look, I've heard it said this way before, a long time ago when I first came to Christ. And it really bears repetition here. When you first come to Christ, it's like you're rowing your boat upstream against the current. And the current is coming and you're rowing and you're sweating and you're rowing and you're sweating and the going is tough. Same river, same current, but now you've got a motorboat because you've grown in your faith and you're going same way but now you're going in a motorboat and it's a whole lot easier and before long you grow some more and now you're in this huge ship you don't even know there's a current coming against you why did the river change no did the current change no it might be even stronger but who changed? You did. You know who you are. You know what you have. You've grown in your faith. And you are now taking a firm stand against the forces that are coming against your life. And you're not taking no for an answer from the devil. You know the word of God. You're applying it to your life. And you know that no weapon formed against you can prosper in any way so you take that strong stand look in um, the word in Romans chapter 5 it says therefore being justified by faith and remember Paul was the one that went through the circumstances of the storm and of the snake bite he wasn't moved he wasn't shaken we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith to this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in what? Didn't Jesus say you're going to have tribulations? And what do we do? We glory. 
Knowing what? Knowing. See, we got to know something. My people perish for what? Lack of knowledge. Knowing that tribulation works patience. Isn't that what James said? Tribulation works patience. Patience is the ability to remain constant when you're facing difficult situations. In other words, you're not coming unglued because you're challenged here right now. Oh, your flesh may rise up a little bit, but because you know that you know that you know from experience, God will set you free, that God will help, that God will intervene. You don't cave in under the pressure. And oftentimes when I talk about that, patience means the ability to stay constant in the midst of changing circumstances. Look at the seasons. You think about summer, winter, fall. You you think about a spring and you think about the rainy season. And there you are standing on the word of God. And you proclaimed it. Pretend like you're standing there and the weather's perfect. You're standing on the word of God. Then it starts to rain. You don't budge. You're standing on the word of God. Then the wind begins to blow hard. You don't budge. You're standing there on the word of God. Then it begins to snow. You don't budge. You're standing on the word of God. Patience means you're constant. You're not moved by the seasons of change. You're not moved by whether the evidence says yes or the evidence says no. You are fixed. Your anchor, your soul is anchored on the word of God. Let it rain, let it snow, let it sleet, let it hail. Let the sun be scorching. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not budging. I'm not moving. God said it and God makes it good. That's your firm stand. That's what you believe. So let's read on. Let the rest of that. So tribulation works what? Patience, the, the ability to do what I just said. And patience, experience. We need experience in acting on the word of God. And experience hope. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. Now, in this, these five verses, the Apostle Paul is once again talking what we're talking about. We have access to the power of God. But when we're challenged along the way, We've got to view those tribulations correctly so they can produce patience in our lives. What are they designed to do by the devil? Steal, kill, and destroy. But when we react according to the word of God, guess what? It opposite works in our lives. It strengthens our faith. Can you see that? Now look at the next verses, or next verse, verse five. We glean light from this, two truths. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. See, he didn't really know how they were reacting. He didn't know how they were responding to the persecution and the affliction they were encountering. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Number one, who's the tempter? Satan. Number two, what's his motive? To, To destroy our walk with the Lord. To get us to the place that we just cave in under the pressure and walk away from God. His motive is to have us spend an eternity with him or to defeat us on every front. That's what he wants to do. And so he'll send certain things our way. And if we respond correctly, we'll have experience in God and our faith will grow. If we respond incorrectly as a victim, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And we just have that victim mentality, then we're not going to grow in our faith. And the enemy will have his way. And so, let's not cave in under the pressure and forsake our faith. Look at the next verses, verses 6 through 8. 
Now, here it says, but, but now when Timothy came from you unto us and brought us, notice, good tidings of your faith and charity or love, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Now, I want you to see something here about Paul. Remember at one point he said, those things that come from without, but also the things that come from within. And he talked about the cares of all the churches. He had such a love for the people that he, he brought to Christ. He was concerned about their spirituality and spiritual well-being. He wasn't investing in buildings. He was investing in human lives. He was concerned about every one of them. That's why he said, man, I don't know what's going on. This church is a young church. These people are young in the Lord. I'm concerned about their welfare, their well-being. And I know they're under heavy pressure, circumstances, persecution, affliction, and all that. I can't take it anymore. So send, I'm sending you, Timothy. Go encourage them. Go there and establish them in the faith and encourage them in the faith. I need to know what's going on. So, so Timothy goes. And when Timothy comes back, oh, his heart is rejoicing. Why? He said to Paul, Paul, you'd be so proud of them. They're not budged from their faith. They're not moved at all away from the things of God. Their faith is strong. Their love is strong. Beloved, that teaches us that faith and love will overcome the opposition of the enemy. So by faith and by their love, they've overcome. They've taken a strong stand. They're not being moved away from the faith. And Paul said, hallelujah, that encourages me to fight my fight. Beloved, we're not alone when it comes to fighting the, fighting the good fight of faith. And we should never be a lone ranger out there by ourselves thinking that we can handle it all. We should always employ and enlist the help of other people because one could chase a thousand, but two can put 10,000 to flight. And when we band together and we work together, our faith is stronger and the anointing is stronger. The power of God is stronger. There's a greater manifestation. And so Paul now, just from that news, what did it do to his heart? It just buoyed up his spirit. And now I can stand, having my conscience cleared of, of what you're going through. And so I know now, praise God, that you're victorious by your faith. And so once again, this teaches us that by faith and love, we can and we will overcome. If we view circumstances correctly, according to the scriptures, and do exactly what Paul said, what James said, what Peter said, don't think it's strange that you're being tried in your faith. And then don't look for every fault that you have. Beloved, please listen carefully. Satan's Number one, I believe, deception is to make us think that we're such a mess that we can't possibly believe God for miracles. You do this wrong, you do that wrong, you have this in your life, and he knows your faults, your failures, your shortcomings, and all that, and he will point them out with a neon sign pointing to you and put a, a bright light of his scrutiny on your life and point them all out. Why? To bring you to a place of guilt and condemnation. And when we're under the pressure of guilt and condemnation, then our faith is going to be paralyzed and it's not going to be strong to stand against the enemy. And so when the devil comes along and he starts to talk to you about your mistakes, your faults, and what you did, maybe you did act out, maybe yesterday you did something you shouldn't have done, or whatever, 
You want to get under his skin? Just say, watch me as I get under the blood. Watch me when I say, Father, forgive me for what I've done. I believe I received cleansing by the blood of the Lamb according to 1 John 1, 9. Thank you for your mercy that cleanses me, but thank you for your grace that empowers me to rise up above it the next time. Now, devil, what are you going to do? It's not based on my performance. It's based on his performance. It's not based on what I have done. It's based on what he did. I can't live a perfect life, but he did. I know someone who did, and he did. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm basing my life on his performance and not mine. So as far as I'm concerned, I believe God. I believe God. That's all there is to it. So in conclusion, ask yourself the question. Am I a victim? Or am I a student? When I encounter difficult situations in life, do I sit back and just say, oh, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on in my life? Am I blaming God? You know, Lord, you're the one. It's you're, the, you're at fault. You know, that's exactly what the devil wants. Make you blame God for what you're going through. You're the one that can control this. You're the one that can change this and all that. No, 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 no. He gave us the power and authority to make right choices and decisions. So you see, are you a victim? Or are you a student? I am learning. I'm in the school. Listen, I'm in the classroom, okay, of learning. I don't want to learn through hard knocks. I want to learn by reading this book, okay? I'm living my life as a student where I'm learning more and more about how to apply the principles of God's word to my life in a productive way. So I'm in the classroom of learning. And every encounter we have, every situation we encounter in this life, every, every circumstance is adverse. What can I learn from this? What do I learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing a burning fire furnace? What about this one? What do I learn from Daniel who prayed on this day and 21 days later an angel came and said to him, Daniel, the moment you set your heart to seek and face to seek God, I heard your words and I've come for your words right then. It took me 21 days to get her because this, this spirit interfered with me, my coming. 21 days. And too often when it doesn't happen instantly, what do we do? We can get down and, and, and feel like, as oh, maybe God didn't hear us. Or then you start criticizing yourself. It's because I'm not good enough, because my faith is not good enough. You've got the faith of God. You've got the faith of Almighty God. It's not your faith. It's His faith that He gave you to use. So how can it not be good enough? It's more than enough. It's the enemy making you think wrong about yourself because of your shortcomings and faults. We all have them. But thank God we're not going to be dictated to by them. We just get them under the blood and thank Jesus. Amen. So 21 days. And then He came and said, I've come for your words. And that's why I'm here. Isn't that powerful? I've come for your words. Is he coming for your words? Is he coming for my words? Depends on what we're saying. Say before the angel, uh, if you speak this word before the angel, they will hearken to his voice, the voice of his word, and they'll come on your behalf. Amen. I know that everything in every circumstance dictates to me why I should be destroyed. But you know what? I'm not going by the circumstances or the dictates of the flesh or the world or the devil. I'm going about 
by what God said about me and as far as what he said about me, I'm his masterpiece. I'm his righteousness. I'm his more than a conqueror. I'm his world overcomer. I'm his son or daughter. Praise God. I'm the one washed in the blood of the lamb, whiter than snow. So amen. Whenever we encounter these things, be a student, not a victim. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.